hypochlorhydria. It also impairs the breakdown and absorption of pharmaceutical drugs. So the net amount that actually makes it into circulation might be lower, especially in the case of thyroid medications, whether it's levothyroxine or a natural thyroid extract. You can regain your health no matter what, for desire backed by faith knows no such thing as impossible. Hi, this is your host Arjun. I'm a functional medicine health professional and personal trainer and I'm here to motivate and empower you with knowledge that will help you to regenerate your health and align with your higher vision. Welcome back to another episode as we continue our discussion on stomach acid. But before we get on with our discussion, I'd like to point out that, as y'all might have already noticed, I have mentioned gut health at the beginning of the title of these episodes, so that all the episodes that are gut health related would be easily recognizable. Now we continue. Yesterday we spoke about stomach acid and discussed how suboptimal stomach acid levels can give rise to so many problems. Today, we'll be looking at some of the most common factors that negatively impact stomach acid, along with looking at some of the most common symptoms associated with it, followed by some of the tests that can help to confirm if you have low stomach acid. So let's get started with some of the primary causes having a negative impact on stomach acid. Starting with, and I think you must have already guessed this one, stress. It goes without saying. It's one factor that's involved in the causation of almost all health problems. If you are stressed around and during your mealtime, well, that's going to hinder the release of stomach acid. When you are stressed, your body switches to the sympathetic state, aka fight or flight mode, because it cannot distinguish between you being chased by a lion or by a boss. This is actually an important concept. And we'll have an entire episode dedicated to the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system states. Then we have water, drinking copious amounts of liquids during meals. That's another bummer. What happens when you mix water and acid? It becomes weak, right? Along with things like being distracted or eating on the go, gulping down your foods, grazing on foods throughout the day, overeating, all of this and more, which all form a part of eating hygiene, in the absence of which digestion is broken. Long-term or regular use of certain medications like NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which cause wear and tear on the stomach lining. And remember, it's the cells of the stomach lining that produce the acid. And medications like H2 blockers and PPIs proton pump inhibitors, which are used for combating acid reflux, also known as GERD, they also impair stomach acid. Sure, they do provide relief from acid reflux, but consider this. Acid reflux is a result of insufficient stomach acid, and these pharma drugs are just further exacerbating the problem by, by suppressing the stomach acid, and we know what that leads to. It's like the plane's going down and you jump off without a parachute. It's downright crazy. 
It's understandable if drugs are used for a short duration. Like for instances, in this case, the short-term use of these drugs in case of strong gastritis or ulceration while it's being addressed is justified. But long-term use will have severe health complications and alpha blockers, beta blockers and opiates, basically drugs having a significant calming effect on the nervous system or ones that interfere with acetylcholine activity, they also disrupt stomach acid release. Another common factor involved in the formation of diseases. Can you guess what that might be? Chronic inflammation. Inflammation kicks up the stress hormones, which in turn puts the body in the sympathetic mode, which greatly reduces activity in the digestive tract, thus negatively impacting stomach acid release. And if this keeps happening, like chronically, it won't take time for H. pylori, that's Helicobacter pylori, to overgrow and take over. And this bacteria loves an alkaline environment. So it's basically going to add on to our woes by further neutralizing stomach acid. So basically, processed, packaged and fast foods. Foods with artificial additives, preservatives and flavorings all contribute to inflammation. Even things like food sensitivities, alcohol abuse, overuse of antibiotics, they too cause intestinal inflammation. Hypothyroid function. It also contributes to digestive issues because everything gets slow and sluggish and all cellular functions are impaired, which also include the cells in the stomach lining that make and release stomach acid. While delayed gastric emptying courtesy to hypothyroid function. It also results in GERD and provides opportunity for bacterial overgrowths like for example SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which shares an intimate connection with low stomach acid. It's like they're lovers. When one's present, the other is highly likely to follow. Age is another factor. Given the modern society we live in where we are surrounded by pollutants, toxins, we don't have enough sunlight exposure. We live away from nature. We have lots of stress. Our food choices are very poor. Plus the quality is also most likely poor. Plus a whole bunch of other stuff thrown into the mix. One can surely expect a decline in stomach acid levels and even digestive enzymes like pepsin, irrespective of H. pylori levels as we age. Unless we take proper care and do what's best for our well-being, that's one of the things we can look forward to. These are the most common factors leading to suboptimal stomach acid levels. Sure, there can be some other factors too like hormonal imbalance, gastric bypass surgery and an autoimmune attack on the parietal cells, which isn't common. Now, moving on to symptoms. There are many, many symptoms associated with suboptimal stomach acid. Considering the fact that it eventually leads to a long list of deficiencies which have their own repercussions. Like for instances, bad breath, weak nails, skin issues, dandruff, constipation or diarrhea. Fatigue, hair loss and breakage, food sensitivities and lots more. However, the main ones to look out for are gas, bloating, belching after meals and heartburn. Basically, acid reflux which points out towards chronic 
indigestion. We'll be covering more on acid reflux in the next episode since it's important to manage it well in order to start addressing hypochlorhydria. An early sense of satiety or heaviness during or post meals along with fatigue, undigested food in the stools, frequent gut infections, chronic allergies like urticaria that's hives on the skin. These things also point out towards low stomach acid levels. Now, there are various tests which can help to determine and detect hypochlorhydria. I'll first mention two simple tests that can be carried out at home which cost next to nothing. But you've got to take note that there's no reliable data or publication stating these tests to be fairly accurate or reliable. But there's no harm in giving them a try. The first is a beetroot juice test. You simply drink a glass of fresh beetroot juice and later notice the color of your urine. If it's clear, you're not likely to have hypochlorhydria. However, if the urine turns out to be of a pinkish hue, well, that confirms presence of suboptimal stomach acid. The second test is carried out using baking soda. You have to mix one fourth teaspoon which is 1 gram of baking soda in 120 to 170 milliliters of water, which is approximately 4 to 6 ounces. Use room temperature or cold water. Drink it on an empty stomach first thing in the morning before eating or drinking anything else. Then time yourself on how long it takes for you to burp or belch. It should occur within 5 minutes and if it doesn't, that's a sign of insufficient stomach acid production. Especially if the burps occur after the 3 minute mark, it's also an indication of low stomach acid. However, if you experience early and repeated burps or a feeling of indigestion, it may be due to excessive stomach acid. Since there are other variables that can impact the result, so it's better to carry out this test on 3 consecutive mornings. As for other tests, I'm not a big fan. Generally, when I work with my clients, I rely on the symptoms and the case history of the person, which actually says a lot. So I keep testing as secondary, only when required. However, nevertheless, I'll tell you about some of the tests that you can check out. Starting with the most popular of all called Heidelberg Capsule Test. It's the gold standard of hypochlorhydria testing because it's directly it directly measures the gastric pH level. It costs around $350 and in most cases it's not covered by insurance. However, you can opt for routine tests like complete blood count and comprehensive metabolic panel which are almost always covered by insurance and also contain some markers which can be helpful in gauging stomach acid levels. If you remember in the last episode, I mentioned about chloride being a component in the formation of stomach acid. So, the best place to start would be chloride levels. Low chloride levels, under 100, in the blood is a sign of low HCL. And since protein will not be optimally broken down in the presence of suboptimal stomach acid, you can also look at serum protein and serum globulin levels, which are going to turn out abnormal. Serum protein if under 6.9 grams per deciliter or if it's over 7.4 grams per deciliter will be an indication towards low HCL 
and serum globulin under 2.4 grams per deciliter or over 2.8 grams per deciliter will also indicate the same as well. And all this, you can only consider these markers if the liver enzymes are normal and you have been consuming sufficient levels of meats, basically proteins. Plus, poor protein digestion results in high nitrogenic waste in the bloodstream. So you'll notice that the levels of blood urea nitrogen, which is also called as BUN, will be elevated. It'll be 20 or above. And you'll also find low mineral levels in your labs, especially iron and RBC zinc. Since iron will be low due to poor absorption, your hematocrit and hemoglobin levels are going to turn out to be low as well. B12 levels, that'll also turn out to be suboptimal. And when B12 levels are low, methylation will be negatively impacted. And you'll find that the levels of homocysteine will be elevated. That's another marker you could look at. There are many other lab markers that I can share with you, along with some of the other tests. But frankly, it's not really needed, especially considering the fact that if you have some very obvious symptoms, which we have just discussed today, you will be able to figure out whether you have optimal or suboptimal stomach acid levels. With that, we have come to an end of today's episode. In the upcoming episodes, we'll be talking about acid reflux and GERD in brief, along with ways to address it, along with solutions to rebuild your stomach acid and getting it back to optimal levels so you start feeling great and getting healthy. I hope you'll have an amazing week and I'll see you at the weekend. If you'd like to keep in touch, subscribe to the newsletter. For more personalized support, you can start by scheduling a free call with me. If you find what I do helpful, you can support the show by becoming a patron. All links can be found below in the show notes. Until next time, stay healthy, stay happy. Mm-hmm.